Today, I want to talk about two topics that are very interesting to me, and they are astrology and reincarnation. Now, the science of astrology had its beginning with the most learned nations of antiquity, and the first astrologers were actually priests and philosophers. And during this time, They found no conflict between the principles of astrology and sacred philosophical systems, and ancient historians agree that they were revealed to humanity by none other than the gods. Now, astrology not only conforms with those universal laws, which are the foundations of ancient wisdom, but they are perfectly compatible with ancient standards of morality and ethics. Now what's unfortunate is that the philosophy of astrology in the modern age, uh, people tend to be more interested in how to gain material fortune than the actual metaphysical mysteries of the soul, and these have been ignored profoundly within astral science. But there have been many ancient cultures that have perfected astrology merely out of their own curiosity to their own mundane affairs. And to the wise ones, you know, the mysteries of the heavens were a revelation of divine principles and divine will. They call this the handwriting of the stars on the walls of heaven that was given to them by the gods through a very special astrological language. Now, there are nations that have given astrology um, the doctrine of rebirth of human souls. And since these two important teachings of astrology and reincarnation developed side by side, believers in the one teaching were also the exponents of the other. So it's evident that no point of conflict exists between the belief in rebirth and astrology. Now, some of these ancient cultures that believed in both reincarnation and astrology were Hermetic philosophers, the Egyptians, Pythagoras, Plato, Aristotle, you know, the noblest thinkers among the Greeks, and also Druid priests. You know, these noble men were revered as among the wisest and most virtuous of mortals and could not have been party to ignorance or superstition. So when we think about astrology and reincarnation, you know, we should definitely consider their opinions with much seriousness. There are many monasteries, uh, mostly in Tibet and India, that depict the cycle of transmigratory existence, otherwise known as reincarnation. And Um, It's entirely astrological. The outer circle of these monasteries are divided into 12 parts, which are termed the nidanas, or the causes which move the soul to rebirth. Now, these nidanas are the 12 zodiac signs, and each one of them contains the impulse to action, or as the ancients termed it, a cause of contact. So, according to the Vedics, Um, Vedic astrology is Indian, and it's an ancient, ancient religion. 
Um, the difference between uh, Vedic astrology and tropical astrology is 30 degrees. And uh, for example, so my birth chart in tropical astrology, um, I was born in July, so I'm a Cancer sun, an Aries moon, and I'm Sagittarius rising. But my Vedic birth chart, um, since it's a 30 degree difference, um, according to the Vedic, my sidereal birth chart is Sun in Gemini. Uh, my ascendant is in Scorpio, and my moon is in Pisces. So if you go to calculate your Vedic birth chart, it's going to be um, significantly different from your tropical birth chart. Now, when I'm reading my horoscope, I tend to read my tropical just because I'm living in the Western culture and I was born in the Western culture. Um, but there's a lot of truth and accuracies to both. Another interesting fact about these Tibetan monasteries is that many of the central parts of the design represents the world or the conditions of consciousness which make up the world, and it is divided into six parts. So in many of these paintings, these panels are filled with elaborate designs um, setting forth the condition of souls in various levels or degrees in spiritual development. Now, there we have that word degree again. Um, there are degrees in astrology. For example, in my Vedic birth chart, I was born with sun in Gemini at 17 degrees. Um, my ascendant in Scorpio was 22 degrees and my moon in Pisces was 23 degrees and so forth. But what's interesting about these six compartments of the circle, they are divided into an upper and lower hemisphere of three compartments. Now, the upper hemisphere represents the three nobler states of being, which are the degrees of excellence. And the first one is called the world of the gods. The second one is called the world of the titans or heroes. And the third one is the world of men. So together, these three parts depict the happier states of consciousness, which are the rewards of good karma. That is to live a noble life full of noble thoughts and noble actions. Now, the three compartments of the lower hemisphere of the circle depict the miseries resulting from bad karma or destructive thought bad emotions, bad actions. Now, these three compartments are named, respectively, number one, the world of animals, number two, the world of ghosts, and three, the world of hells or violent retribution. So in each of these six parts of the world is also depicted a form of the Buddha symbol of universal enlightenment which regenerates and preserves evolving souls in all the spheres of being. And of course, there is always a sun, which is solar energy and its universal source, which is the impulse towards light and truth. The six compartments 
of where the sunlight shines pertains to other major bodies of the solar system, which are known to these ancient astrologers. And the world of the gods is ruled by Jupiter consciousness. The world of titans and heroes is ruled by Mars. And human beings are ruled by Mercury. Now, in the lower half, Venus represents animal consciousness. The moon is the imaginative consciousness, which is also termed the world of ghosts. And Saturn rules retribution consciousness or karmic hell. So in these mystery schools and in the East, it is taught that each soul coming into a material life form enters from one of the six compartments of the wheel of the law. So astrologically, the rule for determining the origin of the soul's present life is as follows. First thing in your birth chart is you want to discover whether the sun or the moon is stronger. You can do this by determining the position or the aspect, and you also want to find the ruler of this planet and see whether it is auspicious or not, which means a good placement. So when you're looking at your birth chart, there are three prominent placements, and that is your sun sign, your moon sign, and your ascendant. In order to figure out your ascending sign, you have to know your exact birth time. And in astrology, the sign ascending on the eastern angle of the heavens at the moment of your birth is a general indicator of your present incarnation. And this basically is the reason for the entire horoscope. The entire horoscope is read from this ascendant sign. And all of the testimonies of the chart are blended with this fundamental keynote of this ascending sign placement. So if you ever get your birth chart read or go online and, and read your birth chart, it's not going to be accurate unless you know the time of birth and your ascending sign. So according to these ancient mysteries, whatever zodiac sign dominates your present birth chart in this life for the individual, the sign previous to that signifies the karma brought forward from a past life. So for example, if you are in Aries ascending, this indicates that Pisces dominated your previous existence. So you are bringing in Piscean karma into this new life. Aries is the first sign of the zodiac, and it is the beginning of a new cycle or experience. Aries people have come into this life from a previous existence of limitation, responsibility, and bondage. So their present life is a release, and they can move forward. They are dominated by a strong ambition and enthusiasm. Now, if Taurus is your ascendant, you have brought forward the impulse of the previous Aryan existence. Taurus people bring forward the positive, militant attitudes of an Aries. Beneath their artistic surface, their emotional fires bear witness to the militancy of their previous incarnation. If you are a Gemini ascendant, 
you are extremely intellectual. You have a very um, intellectual attitude and you can be superficial at times. This is the temperament of the Gemini. Um, you are very Mercury. Uh, but under this general intellectual surface is a very powerful despotic Taurus. If you are a Cancer ascendant, Gemini lurks in your background. So Cancer people are subject to distorted imaginations. They can have negative thoughts, which are controlled by Mercury. It's hard for cancer people to be natural and relaxed all the time because behind them is a life lived under the influence of negative mercury. Now, this person, this cancer ascendant, tends to have complex opinions and complex fears that are often allowed to grow into facts. When Leo is ascending, there is generally a strength complex arising out of the weakness of the previous life. So for this reason, Leo ascendants uh, tend to be egotistic and power-loving, building a positive outward front to protect a very sensitive, emotional, imaginative, subjective, and negative nature held over from their last cancer influence. When Virgo is the ascendant, there is a subconscious repentance in the soul. The previous life was under the forceful, dominating influence of Leo. The Leo incarnation revealed emptiness and vainness of authority, and the native is born into Virgo with a strong tendency to be simple. Virgos just want a simple life. Virgo is a sign of atonement. And the individual has the impulse to help a world, which he probably tyrannized in his previous life. Deep down inside of the Virgo ascendant, um, people have a definite Leo superiority complex and a tendency to be boss. So Virgo ascendants, um, you can see this come out as CEOs, entrepreneurs, that kind of thing. Libra ascendance um, brings into life the Virgo karma. So the people of Virgo have a tendency to lean and depend, and this weakness comes forward in the Libra as a sense of internal insufficiency. The Libra native is always artistic, can be somewhat irritable, and they can also be very vain. But this all has to do with their Virgo past. With a Scorpio ascendant, the strong emotional power of the previous life combines its force with the fiery nature of this sign. Libra is artistic and emotional with a tendency to be melancholy. Scorpio intensifies these qualities, giving much depth and organization to the thought. The self-gratification of Libra is the natural foundation for the powerful ambitions of Scorpio Ascendant. Sagittarius Ascending, for those Sag Ascendants, they produce jovial temperaments, 
But the Scorpio qualities of the previous life are also present here, producing their love of the mysterious, religious, and philosophical aspirations, strong emotional nature, a love of power and position, and there are dangers for overindulgence. The schemes and plots of Scorpio are released as a vast promotion by Sagittarians. With Capricorn rising, we find a great emphasis upon the ambitions and a considerable measure of the Sagittarian concept of justice. Um, when you think about Sagittarians and Capricorns, just on a general level, they could not be more opposite. Um, but when Capricorn ascends, the individual generally feels that he or she is limited or inhibited. So as a Capricorn, they are the most limited sign in the Zodiac. Um, this limitation is mostly self-imposed, and it is natural that the next incarnation should be a revolt against the limitation. And this result is the Aquarius Ascendant. The Aquarius Ascendant is unconventional. There is a general revolt against anything conservative or traditional. They are a little selfish, and this is carried over from Capricorn. Now, Pisces is the last sign of the Zodiac, and this sign brings to an end the cycle of karma. This is set in motion in Aries. So people with a Piscean ascendant, therefore, has rather hectic lives, gathering up the loose ends of unfinished business. From Aquarius, the preceding sign, comes inconsistency and nervousness. So if you are a Pisces ascendant in this life, it is your duty to give your life order and prepare yourself for a new beginning and a higher level of action. Pisces is technically considered the weakest of the signs because it represents the end of the cycle or experience. Now, again, if you were listening and you didn't quite understand all that, that's okay. Um, your ascendant sign is different than your sun sign, so understand that. And everybody's birth chart is different and unique. There are two different kinds of birth charts you can get. You can do a Vedic reading or a tropical. You can also look at your Chinese zodiac. You can check out your expression number your basic horoscope, numerology, your life path, your birthday angel. Uh, you could take a personality test, find out your aura color. There are so many things that make us so unique. Now, it's really interesting because opponents of astrology like to advance the argument that belief in the influence of heavenly bodies or the stars leads to a fatalistic attitude towards all problems of life. You know, most humans like to think of themselves as free agents. You know, most people cringe at the thought of any sort of factor that would restrain that would restrain us physically or psychologically. You know, we all like to talk about free countries, free speech, free trade, you know, 
at the heart of it, the very thought of freedom has become like a fetish. You know, we rise in our righteousness. You know, we have a wrath against anyone who seeks to curb the spontaneous abandon of our actions. I know I lost my shit during COVID because I thought everything that I once believed was was taken away from me. But, you know, obviously this really happened after 9-11, but living through COVID was another thing. You know, we acknowledge no authority superior to our own desires, and we feel that the democratic theory of government has released us forever from supervision and restraint. You know, are we not all born free and equal? You know, not all of us are born great capitalists. Not all of us are born rich. Not all of us are born to be famous and movie stars. You know, maybe in the old world, these were looked at and this was how success was measured. Do you have millions of dollars, billions of dollars? Are you famous? And what's interesting is that every single human being knows deep down that they are all equal and that maybe success is just a matter of breaks or luck or even some nepotism in the merit system. You know, there's this whole thing about equality in the world. What if we are actually predestined? What if we are predestined by our alignment of the stars and where we were placed here and through our reincarnations and our soul cycle and our karma? To think that anybody has the answers is fucking ludicrous. You know, it's funny how the idea of cosmic law disturbs so many people. You know, most people cannot fathom to think that they are a mere atom moved by inevitable and immutable laws. And this ties into, you know, everything happens for a reason. Everyone has a destiny. Everyone has a soulmate or doesn't have a soulmate. You know, what do you believe? I tend to believe that everything happens for a reason and that everything works out as it should. Am I wrong for thinking that? I don't know. Are the people that disagree with me wrong for thinking that the way they think, believing that everything is up to them? I mean, I believe that all my actions, I try to make good decisions. I believe in karma in a sense. When I do good deeds, good things come around. I do believe that. And when we go back in time, you know, it was these ancient nations that were the wisest and still are to some extent. You know, these philosophies tie into astrology. And then we have the law of cause and effect. The law of cause and effect is one of the greatest laws, and it's ancient wisdom. And it's as simple as the farmer plants his seed and it grows. You know, science has also adapted the law of cause and effect. You know, we live day to day sustained by the conviction that certain causes will always produce an outcome. 
And we really have never been disappointed by that. So how can we deny the law of cause and effect? But then you have a lot of people in the world, a lot of victims, a lot of victim mentality, who can be very ignorant to the law of cause and effect. And this goes inward and it turns into a negative type of thinking where everything I do I, is bad luck. I have bad luck. Bad luck's following me. You know, in some way, I don't know what happened to modern man and this victimhood mentality and betas, but at some point in time, modern man was made to feel that they were inferior to these ordinary effects of nature. And I'm not saying this is every man. And when I say man, I mean man, woman, everybody. But I've just noticed this like uptick of victimhood mentality and people making excuses for why they can't do things or why they can't change their life. And it's very frustrating because I know a lot of these people. And Socrates once wisely said, the proper study for mankind is man. So what parts does astrology fit into this picture? You know, how does astrology play into the law of cause and effect? Now, to understand this point, we also have to understand the law of the ancients, which is reincarnation. You know, life is eternally building. Life is constantly improving for its own expression. You know, as we've seen through the years and through the decades and the generations, technology has gotten better. I mean, we are basically at a place where we are so spoiled. You know, it's funny, uh, Little House on the Prairie, fantastic show. I love Little House on the Prairie so much. I used to watch Little House on the Prairie when I was a kid. When I was home from school in the summer, it was on every morning. I'd probably watch two episodes before I would go outside and play. And I loved that show so much. And I was actually reflecting on this the other day because I... I showed my boys Little House on the Prairie. And the film or the the show was based on the book by Laura Ingalls Wilder, who basically wrote an autobiography of her time living in the 1800s, like the Oregon Trail days, and they left the East Coast. They migrated to Indian territory and they tried to build a life until the Indians came in, ran them out, and then they had to go to this other little town. But anyway, my boys were like, they're building their house. He's hunting his food. Like these basic survival concepts, like my, my kids could not even wrap their brains around. And I was like, yeah, like people used to build their homes. People used to hunt their food. Like people still hunt, but now we have grocery stores. Like just these little things that, you know, people take for granted every day. I don't know why I just started talking about Little House on the Prairie. Just went off on a tangent. But anyway, reincarnation is basically the thought that man has lived many times on earth and will return once this life is over, once the present life is over. So in other words, the current life that you are living, 
is not your whole existence, but it's a fragment of your existence. It's a fragment of your whole journey. And you know, there's the argument that we are all energy. Where does energy go when we die? It has to go somewhere. That also makes sense. So causes leading up to this present existence are not always evident in this life, nor are the consequences. So you would have to think that whatever happens in our present could manifest in some future life. Now, this is what the ancients believed, and that it is from the horoscope that it is possible to discover certain generalities of the previous life. Now, the law of cause and effect, when it is applied to human concerns, was called karma. The law of cause and effect is karma. Now, karma is basically another word for compensation, right? So when a man buys something on credit, he creates debt. And the law declares that he must pay the debt. So in a material world, that economic transaction, this would not be regarded as fatalism, but as a responsibility. Now, every action in which a human being performs is regarded as a cause, and every cause is set into motion and has an effect consistent within itself. Okay, this is compensation. This is karma. This also ties in heavily to morals and ethics. I mean, how many times in your life have you seriously wanted to be selfish or give in to a temptation or do something that you know you should not do, but you understand that you could suffer from the consequences? You can suffer from these retributions of your own actions and your own selfishness. You know, and then there's other people who constantly break natural law and they're always involved in indiscretions and they can somehow sleep at night or maybe they don't. Okay, I'm talking about politicians, people running the world. And in Christianity and other theological doctrines, you know, they teach forgiveness as if forgiveness is going to take the sting away from these actions. But if you really think about it, the law of cause and effect technically cannot be evaded. So if that's true, then all of the evils that we do in our lifetime have to return to us again. Like there is no escape from any part of them. That is a fact when you are talking about the law of cause and effect. So when we are born into this world, we have to be born with some good karma and some bad karma. And then, of course, we have our own individual expression, which is constantly making new karma, whether that's good or bad, according to the merit of the action itself. Philosophy teaches us to be modest in our success, which is a good karma, and that we must be patient in adversity, which is bad karma. And according to this philosophy, if we can live a balanced life, it will give us great enlightenment and happiness.
And therefore, the law of cause and effect controls the actual phenomenon of our birth. We are born at the time in which we have merited into certain conditions, into certain opportunities suitable for the next stage of our development. Each person is in the place he has earned for himself. And if he is dissatisfied with his present condition, then he must set up within himself the causes which will result in a better state. And this is where astrology comes in. Astrology is the mechanism which administers the law of karma. We know that the universe is vibration, and the interaction of the heavenly bodies is constantly setting up fields of specialized vibration. When we incarnate here on earth, we are a vibration modified by the karmic factors that were merited to us from our past life. That is reincarnation. That is the cycle of migration. And one other thing about the zodiac signs is that they are positive and negative. The positive zodiac signs are Aries, Gemini, Leo, Libra, Sagittarius, and Aquarius. The negative signs are Taurus, Cancer, Virgo, Scorpio, Capricorn, and Pisces. So to understand the difference between positive and negative, it would probably be more appropriate to use the terms objective and subjective. The objective signs gain experience by contact with external sources of knowledge and impulses. The subjective signs are much more introverted and their reactions rise from within themselves rather from external contact. The positive and negative signs represent an ebb and flow of energy. This is symbolized with the yin and the yang symbol. So oriental philosophers symbolized it by an in-breathing and out-breathing, an alternating process of externalizing. These signs themselves are closely related, therefore cause and effect, the positive signs being the causes and the negative signs being the effects, actions, and reactions. So people born under the positive signs of the zodiac are not so apt to sense the karmic factors in life as those born under the more sensitive, physical, negative signs. Now, this does not mean that positive signs escape cosmic law. They just interpret impulses differently. You know, it's just a different energy. So this explains why people born under negative signs are much more fatalistic and polarizing and maybe see the world in black and white than the positive signs. You know, something that has always been interesting to me uh, regarding the Catholics is that Catholics do not believe in reincarnation. The church has always denied it. Um, and this really started in ancient Greece, but there are many places in the Bible where it contradicts the idea of reincarnation. Um, the other thing that makes no sense is that another word for reincarnation is resurrection. 
And the entire religion of Christianity is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. So make that make sense. Make that make sense. Now I know in Judaism and Christianity and Islam, they consistently call it the resurrection of the body and that Christ had a physical body that was touched, that ate the food, you know, precisely to prove that Christ was not actually a ghost. He was just pure spirit. Um, I still could argue that until I'm blue in the face. Now, Freemasonry does not particularly believe in the afterlife, but they believe in the immortality of the soul. So this also is a concept of reincarnation. Um, like I said, reincarnation is not a belief that's common in traditional Western religions. But according to the Vedics, um, there are themes of each planet in aspect within the birth chart that you can look for significant and profound places of past life experiences. Uh, for example, the sun can tell about your past potential leadership or creativity. This also has themes regarding children. The moon is the theme of feminine prominence and being a matriarch. Uh, this is a theme of emotional power and healing. Mercury is a theme of knowledge, writing, teaching, cross-cultural experiences, and extensive travel. Venus has to do with finances and relationships. Uh, this also has to do with strong charisma, popularity, and unresolved relationship themes. Mars is the theme of activism, defense, attack, um, possibly ruptures or premature death sexuality, and battle of the sexes. Jupiter is known for knowledge and spirituality. Jupiter is vision, manic behavior, behavior, racism, and religious themes. Saturn has to do with leadership, ethics, and morality. This also has to do with karmic debt and the need for realignment, which is guilt and remorse themes. Uranus is about community and civilization, higher knowledge, elitism, and science over nature themes. Neptune is public influence, mass effect, and sacrifice themes. This also has to do with the potential for victimization, um, people who have savior complexes, and this also is big with spirituality. But for anybody who is familiar with birth charts or reading them, you know that trying to decipher every aspect of a birth chart is a work in progress. So why do people believe in reincarnation? Well, one reason is legacy. You know, most of us want to leave a better world for our children. And those who believe in reincarnation are also making the world better for themselves and knowing that they will come back. You know, whatever world they make will have to live it again. So it is not merely a passing on the torch, but a continuation of work. This is where the idea of evolving comes in. You know, even hypothetically, if you do not believe in reincarnation, 
What do we want to do in this lifetime that we would want to continue in the next to reap its benefits? Now, what mark could you leave on the world so significant that being randomly cast into another life would guarantee being affected by it? Reincarnation is also the opposite of YOLO culture. You only live once. This is more a libertine or materialist atheist type belief. You know, belief in immediate heavenly reward. Those embracing reincarnation do not live for the moment, but they live as a prelude to the future. What we do now has real consequences to our future in this life and the next and the next. I can't say for certain whether reincarnation is real or whether we travel from life to life, but we can definitely still learn from its lessons. And there is a lot of influence from ancient wisdom and mystery teachings that show us that we should care about our present day actions. And the Roman poet Seneca once said, Live each day as a separate life, for each day of our life presents us with a new experience that even if we can only see this day's work, we know we didn't start it, and it will continue long after the working tools of life fall from our hands. And that's all for me today. Thank you so much for listening to me rant. I hope you learned something, and I will see you very soon.